Hello, and welcome back into Not Just Another Sports Podcast. It is Price Carter. It is Christian Ainsworth. We are back from a long reprieve, and we are happy to be joining you again. Christian, this morning, well, I shouldn't say this morning, last night, I heard something that reminded me of you, and it reminded me that it's almost football season, and it was a cicada. I heard a cicada outside, and it reminded me, like, when I first hear those cicadas humming, it's time for football. It's back, baby, and so are we. Yeah, dude, so hype. And that is so sweet that you would think of me when you hear a cicada. I mean, it's a little weird, but I, you know, I appreciate the heartfelt sentiment. Um, glad to be back, man. Well, you know, there's just like a couple of things that make me like, for me, football doesn't really kick off until we get up into St. Joe and get to watch the team and, you know, get some delicious uh, Cajun food from Budros, but also the cicadas humming like that's that's when you know training camp starts whether you're high school college or professional um you know football really kind of starts here late july early august so it's exciting and there's a lot of storylines to talk about with the chiefs and the nfl in general of course at arrowhead live we will be covering all those things chiefs and here and not just another sports podcast we'll be talking chiefs and general nfl as well but today we're going to lead with your kansas city chiefs and specifically the most Recent and biggest news is, surprise, surprise, Orlando Brown Jr. and the Chiefs do not reach a contract before the deadline. So Orlando Brown, who has not signed the franchise yet, tag yet, but likely will eventually, will be playing on the tag in 2022. Christian, what are kind of just some of your big takeaways from the situation with Orlando Brown? So I guess there are really two big takeaways that that I kind of got from this this whole situation unfolding and one of them is that Orlando Brown Jr. I don't think was as upfront with the front office as we thought that he was going to be right so you look back he's starting he's the starting right tackle for the Baltimore Ravens he says I want to make the transition to left tackle and it's not about the money there's no it has nothing to do with the money my father was a left tackle in the NFL, and I want to carry on his legacy playing for a winning organization and starting at left tackle. And, you know, the Chiefs saw that. And, you know, everybody kind of expected that he was going to get a bigger contract, especially since he had been to a couple Pro Bowls, uh, really showed some, some good technique on film. And the Chiefs, you know, they, they made the move for him. And they traded for him, brought him in, hit the – summer camp and, and I believe he was a little overweight but everybody was kind of expecting that and so he came in played really good and now we're in a situation where it's like you know I, I want to be paid top one money for the position and I'm really like a top 12 or 13 left tackle in the league and so that that's kind of the first part of it and the second part of it is the contract negotiation aspect of it so brown i still don't don't believe at this moment has signed his franchise tag so without signing the franchise tag he can't be fined for this upcoming season at least for uh skipping out on summer mini camps and and things like that so it's going to be interesting to see how long he holds out i don't think he'll hold out the entire season but again with, with all this you know, heading that way, it doesn't really make any sense for Orlando Brown to skip out on the season or even to kind of go into this upcoming season um, frustrated or um, try wants to be vengeful um, for this this kind of contract negotiation that's been going on. He's he needs to put a good year of film on tape. He did that a little bit last year, but really it was just that second half of the season that he played very well at all. So he's going to come in with a fire under his butt. He's going to play really, really well for us. And I think it could be, honestly, the best situation for the Chiefs, you know, to have him play on the franchise tag. Let's, let's say he gets injured. Let's say he doesn't do as well this second year as he hoped. Well, that's going to come into the conversation whenever he goes back for contract talks. So I'm really interested to see how this whole thing plays out. And honestly, I'm kind of interested to hear your opinion on it. Well, I knew that we were in trouble when it came to Orlando Brown Jr.'s contract when he showed up to the Chiefs training facility after being traded with a foxtail in big flame, framed glasses and a Gucci bag. I knew then 
not really, but actually kind of. I mean, here's the thing. When it comes to, I, I think you framed it well, the Orlando Brown situation, it's more than a, a single issue topic. There's kind of a couple of things to take into consideration when you come into it. First off, there's Orlando Brown Jr. as far as the trade goes. Um, you know, I think in this podcast, we've said several times that at this point, we kind of look at this trade as a win. Um, I, it is interesting to see what we will think of the trade if Orlando Brown doesn't end up being here long term. But one thing to keep in mind, and this also goes to the leverage that Orlando Brown has, is the Chiefs still control the rights to him for the next two years. There are, there are zero scenarios where Orlando Brown doesn't play football for the Chiefs and somehow increases his value. Like, this is a guy who, when it came time, I mean, he played at a big college. He played, you know, at Oklahoma, a big football school. He was a prospect, the son of, a, you know, an NFL player. And when it came time for the combine, he put up one of the worst combine performances, like, ever. Like, this is like me doing the combine. Probably, it'd still probably kill me, but also like terrible combine stats. This is a guy who has struggled with his physique and is now playing left tackle versus right tackle, which is where he originally tested at. With that being said, I, I just can't see a scenario where he is holding out from the Chiefs. So going back to the trade, the Chiefs still have his rights for two more years. You know, we, we like to think that, you know, in some ways the Orlando Brown trade brought us Creed Humphrey. And Nick, or um, excuse me, yes, Creed Humphrey, because the Ravens were likely going to pick Creed Humphrey with that pick and the Chiefs picked ahead. But they also they also technically turned that pick into Nick Bolton. But nonetheless, like, you know, the trade is the trade. And if they they still have this control of him, I, I am not going to chalk this trade up as a loss, because if they get three years of two or three years of cost effective left tackle play that's average to above average, that's still pretty pretty substantial for what ended up being not that huge of a trade to begin with. I mean, they didn't give up as much as we may have thought. You know, if Adafi, you know, if Adafi Owe, you know, takes off and has 20 sacks this year, we're going to feel different, of course. But the trade aspect of it, I'm not sure even if the Chiefs don't get them signed that it's a true net loss. Then we have like the Orlando Bre Orlando Brown the player and how he is on the field. And I think the returns are they were extremely concerning in the beginning of the year. He was just getting run right past. As the year progressed, I definitely think he got better. Now, I also think if you go and kind of look at the pass rushers he faced towards the end of the year, um, the list got a little bit worse. Um, I don't think he faced as many big, uh, big names towards the latter part of the year, but he did get better. But I also vividly remember a lot more chips, a lot more running backs on that side of the field, more or less, Orlando Brown is not a set it and forget it left tackle and the chiefs had to kind of scheme around him. Um, I think that, you know, he, if he were to come into camp and play another full year, I'm still open to the idea of him playing and maybe improving a little bit more as a left tackle. But the fact still remains that he is not a natural athlete at that position. He's a waist bender. Um, he's always just going to be slow and he's always just going to win with power. And the thing he does best is running the ball, the thing that the Chiefs just forever are immune to. So that concerns me as well. Um, and then just, you know, the contract situation. I think that, and this is where you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think that, you know, when the Chiefs brought him in, they were thinking this is a guy who cares about winning. This is a guy who cares about culture. We are giving, we are doing him the favor of trading for him on a championship level team in playing him at left tackle, which he said he just wanted to do because his father did, had no financial motivation, which we all laughed at then and are still laughing at now. So let me ask you this question, Christian. Has Orlando Brown changed or become a different player than what the Chiefs acquired him for? I think in some ways, yes, and some other ways, no. I think that when they brought him in, right, I don't think that they – expected him to come in and be an Eric Fisher type of left tackle, like really athletic, super agile, can really help you out on zone runs. Um, I think that they knew that he was slow. They knew he was unathletic, but they also knew that he had really good technique and knew how to use his physical traits to his advantage. So in that way, I think they know exactly who they were bringing in with Orlando Brown. Now, what I don't think they really understood at the time, and maybe 
and granted, I saw this on Twitter, so we don't really know how um, how truthful this is. But it it had been reported that someone in the Chiefs front office said they don't think that Orlando Brown is the same guy that they got a year ago. And, you know, obviously, like I just stated, I think they knew the player they were getting. I don't think they understood the type of person they were getting. And I don't want to get too personal and, and do anything like that, but. I'll just compare him to the rest of the Chiefs stars for a second. Let's look at Patrick Mahomes. Took less money, left money on the table to get the job done for other positions. Travis Kelsey, criminally underpaid for the majority of his career. Chris Jones, let he he did get a big bonus and he did sign for a lot of money. He also left some money on the table. And finally, look at Frank Clark. Say say what you want him about, say what you want to about him as a player. We had the opportunity to cut him this offseason and save I, I forget what it was like 12.7 million dollars or, or maybe that would have been his dead cap hit um he chooses to restructure and stay with the team because he is a guy who's about winning and about proving himself and and shouldering shouldering some of the responsibility for his poor play I don't think Orlando Brown Jr. is that type of guy like I, I get it your first contract I get your you know, going for the bag, you got to get the bag. But when you want like top one money, like Trent Williams might be the best left tackle we've seen in the league in two decades. Okay. He's making like 23 million on average for the next four years. Orlando Brown wanted 25 plus. So here's, here's where I like start getting flabbergasted and why I can kind of see the comments that Jeff Chidia made actually lining up a little bit. The Chiefs just turned their back on a player that is like Canton bound unless or not wait, is Canton the baseball hall yes. of fame? Okay. No, that's NFL. Okay, it's NFL. Okay. Sorry. Wrong. I got the I thought I had the wrong Hall of Fame. Oh, Either way, good. a guy who is destined for the Hall of Fame and, and Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill, there is nobody even close to him as far as what he does. He's a top two or three receiver and has a skill set so unique, so undefendable that literally defenses in the NFL had to change how they played for the whole, you know, the whole year, as far as the chiefs go. Orlando Brown watched the chiefs turn their back on that player and said, yeah, I bet they'll make me the highest paid at my position. Literally the same thing that Tyree kill wanted. I understand that Tyree kill is a little bit older, but Tyree kill has done more in a chiefs uniform is more deserving of a contract than Orlando Brown jr. And will likely age better than Orlando Brown jr. Athletic athletes age well. Here's the thing. Tyreek Hill is not going to be the fastest player in the league forever, but when he slows down, he'll still be top five. You know, we saw this with, you know, players like Randy Moss guys, when they like that, when they slow down, they're still really fast. Um, And, you know, who knows, you know, we could be talking about, I know we kind of alluded to that. Some people think that there's a Achilles injury that could be lingering for Tyreek Hill that could ultimately lead to a ruptured Achilles or could completely change him as a player. But Orlando Brown, that, that to me is the thing that sticks out, that when they brought him on, they did him a favor with the left tackle thing. They did not they, – they got him out of a situation that he did not have to get out of. You know, the Ravens did him a favor, and so did the Chiefs. He, you know, he was more or less holding out because he didn't get to play the position that paid more. For Ronnie Stanley, who is a very accomplished left tackle, and the Chiefs do him this favor, and, yeah, I, I think that he probably has changed as far as – and also, like, we're saying the quiet, we're not acknowledging some of the things that he's done that lead us to, you know, actions speak louder than words. Orlando Brown Jr. took all this time to pick an agent, and he made this huge old deal in some press conference earlier in the season that, um, you know, like, my, I'm going to come into camp in the best shape of my life, and I'm going to focus on Pat's wedding. Like, I'm Pat's boy. You can't replace me because I'm Pat's boy. And I'm going to come in in the best shape of my life and I'm going to find an agent. Well, he took forever to find an agent, which seems to be a thing with the Ravens. And then he makes a point of hiring an agent who has never negotiated an NFL contract in his life. Used to, I'm not kidding. If you look him up, used to negotiate college hockey contracts, college hockey. I don't even know that was they even had contracts. And then they bonded over their love for diabetes or having diabetes. I should say their love of having it. But, you know, like can we all acknowledge that that's weird? I mean, I feel for you people who have diabetes and, you know, obviously it's an issue and I'm sorry that people have it, 
but like that's that's not a reason to pick an agent and you know and I think that this agent filled his head with you know pie in the sky I'm going to get you the biggest deal and I'm going to play hardball not like these other NFL uh, negotiators who are you know in bed with the organizations and it's very reasonable to say that he's probably changed and also might I say I don't necessarily think that what the you know what the Chiefs leaked was on accident these are contract negotiations they are cantankerous they are you know high high intensity um so I I absolutely believe that the Chiefs did put that out for a reason and I think that it's trying to say I I honestly think looking back on it there was an article that we talked about last year that Adam Teicher wrote that was actually about um, Tyron Matthew and whether he was coming back to the Chiefs. And everyone more or less, you know, at that time, again, looking back on things and how silly they were, everyone just knew Tyron Matthew was going to be back in Kansas City. And Brett Beach mentioned in, in relation to the cap and everything else, they said, you know, we want to try to bring Tyron back. We've made him an offer. Or we're going to try to make an offer. You know, we've got um, Orlando Brown on the tag. And he just kind of said Orlando Brown on the tag and passing. And we talked about it on this podcast that the way that he said that very much seemed like they were kind of just planning on tagging him. So maybe this was the guy that they expected all along and they're just using this as leverage. But I mean, my takeaway from that is that Orlando Brown is not reading the room well. And you're right, him trying to get more than Trent Williams and reset the market on this team with this quarterback, with this head coach is just, it's just not, it's tone deaf is honestly what it is. And the last thing I'll say, and then we can kind of change points about it is Orlando Brown, when he came into this organization was a more valuable commodity than he is now. Point in case, when Orlando Brown came to the Chiefs, this was the offensive line. He was the left tackle. Joe Tooney had been signed. He was left guard. Austin Blythe was your center. Right guard, Nick Allegretti or Austin Ryder or coming back from um, medical leave, LDT, right tackle, a combination of Lucas Nyang and Mike Rummers. Those were, that was the offensive line. And before uh, Orlando Brown, we were watching highlights of Lucas Nyang try to play left tackle with his feet uh, a mile and a half apart from each other in his stance. Um, that was that was the state of the offensive line after we had watched the, uh, the Chiefs just have a disgraceful performance on the offensive line. So when we came in, we looked at like, okay, we've got the left side lockdown now. We've got, you know, a Pro Bowl left tackle in Orlando Brown and, uh, you know, an all-pro level left guard and Joe Tooney. Since then, the Chiefs have just hit like home run after home, home run on the offensive line with Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. And now, you know, we feel pretty good about the right tackle spot between, you know, I think, you know, Darian Kennard has upside. We think Lucas Nang showed some stuff. And even then, Andrew Wiley has proven to be at least okay at right tackle. So I, I just think that he is losing re- leverage here as the day goes by. Well, yeah, and, and I'll ask you one more thing before we move on here. Is there a situation where OBJ comes out of this season in a better situation leverage-wise in, in this contract negotiation? Because to me, it almost seems like if he does well enough this year, right, and let's just say that he knocks it out of the park. Maybe maybe he's not top top two or top three tackle in the league. We'll just say that he's top seven. So he improves his stock. Um, I think the Chiefs probably franchise tag him anyway, like going into the next season and then try to trade him, either do a tag and trade or just let him go by the end of the year. Um it just doesn't seem like he's setting himself up in a situation where he can stay in Kansas city and also be paid like a top 10 or top five left tackle in the league. Like it it just seems like it's a lose, lose situation for him at this point. Yeah, I do. I do think that, you know, there is a situation, right. It's just that, you know, he does truly come in in the best shape of his life and really takes off in year two of the system. And we see a big improvement from him and, you know, even then he's more or less in the same situation. I do think that if he were to, you know, I think the tag and trade next year, it's a very real possibility. Again, just going back to the fact, especially if like Darian Kennard has a really good season at right tackle, you're like, we've got three rookies on the right side of this line. They're doing great. Another year of Joe Tooney left. Um, you know, we have the leverage here and this team's going to have a lot of cap space moving on from Tyreek Hill. 
moving on from some of the veterans that they have. And then especially if they're not locking up money in Orlando Brown, there's a, you know, there's a reasonable spot that, you know, left tackles don't really hit the market very often, but definitely a trade and, you know, sign like Laramie Tunsil, someone that comes to mind that's making pretty good money in Houston, but is definitely better than Orlando Brown. And also if they can swing some sort of deal with the Texans, whether it be picks or players, like maybe they would take on Orlando Brown or something like that. You could get Laramie Tunsil and the cap hit would be literally a million dollars if the Texans were to eat all the cash that they owe him. So I think you're right that there's just not a lot of scenarios that exist that Orlando Brown somehow increases his value in these coming years. And likewise, I, I, I think that another thing that his agent might be misreading is like how much the cap is going to go up. And maybe that's what this is, is that they think that they're just going to get the mega deal when the cap goes up. But I don't expect it in a lot of people who actually do the cap for a living don't believe that it's going to skyrocket quite yet. That's coming in probably another three or four years as like some of the Amazon money runs uh, comes in as far as Thursday night football. And then the eventual mitigation of Sunday ticket to a streaming service like Apple TV or something like that. Yeah. So I, there, there is going to be a few years, I think as well, before the cap actually takes a major uptick. That, that also kind of plays in his favor, though, because, you know, especially how the Chiefs had the structure or the contract that they offered to him structured. It was like 18 mil or 16 mil, 18 mil, then 40 million or so, something crazy as the third or fourth year option. Like, so I, I think that they structured it in a way that would have made sense and still gave Orlando Brown Jr. like top tier average money, like number one overall average. I think that he just declined to, to make that deal because he was frustrated with how the negotiations had been going. I mean, that, that's the only thing that makes any sense to me other than that $40 million year being somewhat optional for the Chiefs or, or there being more, um, what's that called? The, the money that you earn, basically, incentive-laden money. So it, it's an interesting situation. I'll be interest, interested to see how Veach does um, with either replacing him or eventually extending him. Yeah, uh, Nick Jacobs over at 41 Action News, he's a great follow on Twitter. He, he kind of like put together kind of the top left tackle contracts and based off the pieces that, we, that were leaked as far as the contract, which also you can't whistle past the whole like, oh, the chief said he changed. They wouldn't say that type of thing. And then also just believe these contract numbers that are put out there, right? Because that's also kind of, kind of, you know, leaking information purposefully. So it, it makes me think even more that what Jeff Chidi is saying is good. Also, Jeff Chidi has worked for the NFL Network for a decade. Uh, he lives in Kansas City. He's one of the first people to say that Terry Kill was possibly going to be traded. Uh, I consider him a good source, especially because he has ethics as a reporter, which means that he doesn't just go get stuff from random people and, and blurt it out. Like this is a source that he's probably used before and has credibility. But, um, you know, ultimately, I just want to get from you, like, how do you think this ends? As far as Orlando Brown Jr. For me, what I ultimately think happens, even though it's, I'm not sure it's what I want to happen. I think that he plays another tag this year. They get something done next year. But possibly, you know, he kind of realizes his value a little bit more. And I don't think that it's the top left tackle. Like, I think it might be two or three. But I do think that they ultimately get something done just because it, it kind of feels like what the Chiefs will do. I do think that they don't want to give up a first round pick for another left tackle with the draft coming to Kansas City next year. We've heard Brett Beach say that, you know, Clark Hunt wants a pick next year in the first round. I just think ultimately they get it done, but I think it's going to take the year. Yeah, and I'll agree with you on that point. I mean, with how the situa situation is this year, like I, I don't expect anything to get done at this point. Um, now, as far as next year goes, the Chiefs have kind of a couple options here. They can do the tag and trade, which we mentioned earlier. They can extend him, or they can just tag him again and have him play out that tag, uh, whatever that the 2023 season underneath the tag. So there are plenty of options that the Chiefs have where they can, you know, kind of influence how the cap hit is, is set up or what they feel like doing long term. In my opinion, the Chiefs have all the leverage here. Um, Orlando Brown is a great left tackle. He's not an incredible one. So 
you know, you can beg and plead for all the money in the world. That doesn't mean anybody's going to pay it to you. And it might end up being that he wants to hit the open market and he finds out that not everybody is willing to pay him top one, top two, top three left tackle money. And he ends up signing here for a lesser deal uh, and we don't have to tag it. So I doubt a trade happens, but at this point, I mean, anything is on the table. It wouldn't surprise me if Beach pulled something crazy like that next off season. And we ended up getting a pick back that we use for another offensive lineman or maybe a wide receiver who knows. Right. And I, I don't necessarily, again, you know, I, the only thing I'll just caution people in saying is that just because the cost is spent on Orlando Brown, as far as the trade picks go, does not mean that he has to be signed. Like it is not an absolute deadlock that he has to be signed. And I don't necessarily think that the trade is a bad thing. You want to tell me that the chiefs are going to be bricked up from left guard to right tackle and they're going to make do with someone at left tackle. This is why you have Patrick Mahomes. This is why you have Travis Kelsey. This is why you have Andy Reid. Andy Reid can scheme around these type of things. And I will just throw it out there. I, you know, I really don't think that um, Orlando Brown is going to be holding out throughout this year. His career earnings is like $3 million thus far. He's on the hook for like $16.7 million this year. So he's going to show up. That's, uh, you know, like, you know, almost quadruple the amount of money he's made in his career thus far, thus far. So I, I think he'll show up, but Eric Fisher is a free agent. You know, he could come in day one and start. And, you know, do I think Mitch or do I think Eric Fisher is, you know, 2018 version of himself? Of course not. Uh, he didn't have great numbers last year in Indian, Indianapolis, which is obviously a very good offensive line as well. But he's also playing was playing in a system that was very run heavy, which doesn't compliment him as well. He's a better pass protector. And likewise, we know that Eric Fisher could come in and be 85 to 90% of Orlando Brown for much less the cost. Oh, yeah. And, and let's not pretend that we didn't have Eric Fisher at left tackle for the past uh, however many years, five years, basically all of Patrick Mahomes' career. So a guy like Eric Fisher coming in would, you know, I think that Patrick Mahomes would be able to quickly acclimate to his style of play. But also, if we had somebody other than those two who was less than Orlando Brown, kind of in that Eric Fisher tier of tackles. It's not like Patrick Mahomes hasn't been successful with that type of talent on the left side of the offensive line. So any situation that he's going to be put in, I think will be a-okay. I, I just don't want to see us overspend for a guy that's, you know, a top 12 talent went in top one money. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, let's pivot away from Orlando Brown. I feel like Chiefs Kingdom as a whole has been talking about him for over a month because we knew this was kind of the last piece of the puzzle for the offseason. Um, let's talk about something that's coming in just eight days, and it'll be even less by the time the podcast is released. The Chiefs will be heading up to St. Joe. It is time for training camp to begin. And my question to you is, what do you think some of the most interesting position battles? What are you going to be opening up Twitter and looking through videos and overanalyzing men running in shorts at? What, what are you most looking forward to spending time arguing with people about on Twitter that will ultimately not matter at all? So this is going to be kind of a hot take. And if you guys didn't know, me and Caleb James, another guy from Arrowhead Live, just went up to the Chiefs training camp um, where season ticket holders, there was a limited draw. We ended up getting some tickets and heading up there. And seeing Isaiah Pacheco and Leo Chanel run, it's going to sound crazy. I think that Isaiah might be the fastest player ever to wear number 10 for the Chiefs. And I know that's saying a lot, considering Tyree killed, you know, just left this past year. But he was clearly the fastest player on the team. I mean, like not even close. And on the other side of the ball, Leo Chanel, he was the fastest guy on that side of the ball. Like the number one, number two, fastest players. I know that NFL isn't, you know, built on the backs of the quickest and fastest players in the league. But if the Chiefs can find ways to utilize these guys, it's almost like getting a guy like, oh, uh, Josh. Uh, now I can't think of his last name. Guy who went to the Bengals. Ross, um, like a first round talent based 100% on his speed and athletic ability. They basically got those guys 
as fifth round and seventh round picks. So seeing them battle in their respective position groups, running back and linebacker, it's going to be something to watch. I, I'm going to be super interested to see where both those guys end up landing. Uh, Leo Chanel also incredibly smart. So he could really make a play at starting at linebacker for the Chiefs in Spags defense game one, which would be absolutely insane for any player to do, but also for a seventh round pick. So that, that's just going to be so crazy to, to see him and, and these guys go out there and play. Yeah, uh, one thing, uh, Leo Chanel, are you talking? Oh, you're talking about Checo as far as the seventh round pick? Yeah, I think okay, uh, Leo sorry. was a fifth, fifth round. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was a, I think he was a late third. But I, so I agree with you. Running back is going to be one of the positions that is the most interesting. And this is actually kind of one of the things that I'm super fascinated by. I don't think that this happens, but it's possible. I really wonder what the Chiefs are doing with um, Clyde Edwards Alaire and Ronald Jones. I just, I just don't think both those guys make the roster this year. I think it's going to be one or the other. You and don't? Yeah, I, and here, here's my reason why. The pieces just don't match. So you've got Clyde Edwards-Alaire, not a third down back. Has played it some, consistently struggled in the passing game, consistently struggled, struggled as a pass blocker, and is more of just a hit-the-hole run and doesn't have breakaway speed. Then you have Ronald Jones, not a pass blocker, not a pass catcher, is more of a hit the open hole and run, except he actually is fast and cheaper. Um, I'd have to double check the math, but my guess is that Ronald Jones cost less this year than Clyde Edwards-Alaire as him being a first round pick. And also remember the Chiefs have the first year option or the fifth year option coming up for Clyde Edwards-Alaire next year. So basically he's kind of like on a one year deal for the Chiefs right now. Then yeah, you have Pacheco. Who, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that the savings is like one and a half million. I think, I think that's what yeah. I saw. So the, the Clyde Edwards Delaire thing would not necessarily be like a cap move as much as it would be like, this is a commodity that we don't find valuable anymore. Let's see if someone else has value in it. Um, and then you've got Pacheco who, you know, is a lot of speed, you know, small, very unknown, has some special teams ability. Then you have McKinnon in there who we all were calling for just more and more of McKinnon last year. And then you have Gore, who has also flashed something as well. Um, and then there's even some talk about, uh, I cannot remember the player's name, a UDFA that was brought in at the running back position as well. They've got a lot of bodies in there. I, was it Javon Ely? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, a lot of people were pretty excited about him. Eric Eager was talking about him. And he has a pretty good, uh, you know, tap in as far as the Chiefs and what they're saying. So I'm going to believe that they're pretty excited about him. We've heard, you know, we've heard players like this before. Ultimately, my guess is that, you know, the running back room is ultra competitive and we're talking about it daily. I would be surprised if Clyde Edwards-Alaire was moved in some way. But if you told me, like, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a run-heavy team. Like, if the Colts, something happens to um, their running back, you know, early in the going in camp, I could see them making a move or maybe you tell me like, you know, the Ravens, they're just, you know, doubling down on the rev run heavy scheme. And if the Chiefs can get like a third or a fourth for Clyde, I think they definitely think about it, especially because they can get almost the exact same thing in Ronald Jones. Unless Clyde dramatically improves in the past game, which we've always called for and asked for, and which he was that type of player at LSU or dramatically improves at pass protection, there's just there's just some redundancy there at that position. And Pacheco is one of those guys, like one of my favorite things that um, I listened to about during the draft process was someone asked him, what was your favorite highlight of your play in college? And he didn't talk about a catch or a run or a touchdown. It was a block that he made in pass protection. Like this guy likes to hit and is good at it. So, you know, I, I truly think that there's a wide open competition and is going to be very interesting because as Matthew Barry, formerly of ESPN, now the amazing Mr. Roto, would always say, the Andy Reid running back is always worth owning. If you're getting running back touches in the Andy Reid offense, you're going to be a value. You're going to you know, score. You're going to catch passes. You're going to have opportunities. So I think it's an open competition there. Oh, yeah. And with all of those names, Ely, McKinnon, Clyde, Rojo and Pacheco like the, not all five of those players are going to be on the roster somebody is going to leave at some point I really really like 
your Ravens trade situation because just recently heard today that J.K. Dobbins probably will not be ready for their week one game. And you know what? They, they were hurt all of last year. I could see him trading for, you know, a, a formerly first round running back that is looking for something to prove. Now, I doubt it happens just because he's still on that rookie deal. But it, it could be interesting to see what Veach can pull off there if, in fact, there is a trade, you know, in the wings. Yeah, and at that point, it would just be like, a, hey, this is our thing that we don't value that much. We're looking for someone who does value it, basically getting something out of a player that next, like if Clyde has another just mediocre season, they're just not going to exercise the fifth round option on him and he'll just be a free agent and he probably will not bring back a big enough deal that they'll get a comp pick out of it. So they'll more or less just be getting a comp pick when they probably wouldn't. So um, it would just kind of be smart business by them. Um, One thing that you brought up uh, referencing Leo Chanel, that's probably going to be the thing I want to watch the most in camp overall is going to be Spags and how he handles the rookies. Um, For the longest time, Spags has just deferred to veterans, even to the point that it makes us all scream on social media to please play the young guys. Um, We've seen this with Dan Sorensen. We've seen this with Anthony Hitchens. We just have seen it time and time again. Spags kind of doesn't have a choice here. Um, you know, if it's week one and we're getting all the veteran corners, which there are some on this roster over the young guys like Trent McDuffie, um, some of the other draft picks that they have at the linebacker position, he literally has no choice but to play the young guys as far as Nick Bolton, Willie Gay, Leo Chanel, um, and the pass rushers as well, too. You know, we don't want to have to be sitting here talking about is George Karloftis going to get more than 10 snaps this week? I don't think that that's going to be the case, but it's going to be the mix and match in the secondary is going to be fascinating because you've got, you know, a a lot of versatility at the safety position too. You've got Juan Thornhill who is the true kind of deep um, free safety, but Justin Reed has played a little bit all over. Um, Brian cook definitely profiles more as just a box guy, but um, you know, McDuffie we've even talked about has kind of a profile that could shade over and play some safety. It's very clear to me that they have a lot of versatility at the position. So it's just going to be really interesting. You know, are we going to see Snead on the outside? Is he going to move to the slot? Um, I know that's a lot where a lot of people think that McDuffie is going to start out in the slot. Um, that's, that's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to see a full season of Chris Jones at defensive tackle again, instead of the um, whatever they called him playing edge project was that was uh, less than successful. Um, that's going to be interesting. And then, um, you know, this one's very, uh, very obvious, but it's also going to be really interesting to see Patrick Mahomes connecting with the new wide receiver core. Um, We've heard a lot about MVS and the connection there. We saw some highlights from Bobby Strope, who is um, Patrick Mahomes' trainer, with him working out with Sky Moore. Really liked what I saw there, just like some slants um, that (laughs) were interceptions off of Tyree Kill's hands that weren't off of his hands. So, um, it's going to be a really interesting camp, and I'm, I'm excited for it. Oh, yeah. Lots of position battles. Lots of guys on the bubble. Like, that wide receiver group is going to be so deep with comparable talent that it's going to be crazy to see who gets let go. Same thing with the running backs. Same thing with the cornerbacks. Like, guys like DeAndre Baker might not see the field. Like, the, the, there are so many positions that are just intertwined in these battles that it'll be – anybody's guess really who we get to see come out week one yeah I'm interested to see um you know we talked this time a couple months ago we were sitting here all talking about Justin Ross um the wide receiver room is going to be really interesting too I think that the biggest thing for the Chiefs is just going to be that for years they have relied on some wide receivers playing special teams and I'm just not sure that's going to be the case They drafted a lot of secondary players. I think that they're going to have to rely on them because I think wide receiver five and six for the Chiefs might not be playing special teams. Like there's a situation where only McCole Hardman and maybe Sky Moore are playing special teams. Um, You know, we talked about Pacheco might be playing um, some special teams. Jalen Watson definitely profiles out like that. Um, So does Joshua Williams. They've got these secondary pieces. It'll be really interesting because – what is Justin, Justin Watson, who was a wide receiver for the Bucks, um, kind of a speed guy. He's a special teams guy that 
there was some connection between Mahomes and him and OTAs. Be interesting to see. He might be kind of a sleeper to sneak into that sixth spot if he is a special teams guy. Oh yeah, him and Corey Coleman as well. We we forgot about him, the first round pick from the Browns I'm, a few years. I'm gonna be ago. honest. I don't I don't think we have to worry about Corey Coleman. I've, I've just, honestly, I think he's got a shot. I I really think he has a shot at being the last wide receiver on the roster. Like I think it might be between him and Josh Gordon at this point. Yeah, the Josh Gordon thing is. I mean, I look. I want to believe. It's like it's a. Uh, it's like the X Files. The truth is out there. I want to believe, but I'm just just not sure. But by God, if he just puts up you know 800 this year, the Chiefs deserve all the credit in the world because they have stood by him for a long time. Yeah, no kidding, man. Like, how often would we want him on the field last year when we had guys like Kemp seeing playing time because Tyreek or, or Mecole were were not feeling well and he had to come in like. We were dying for a third option last year and nowhere to be found. Nothing, nothing will cleanse your palate more for like how ridiculous most of our conversations are as Chiefs fans as going back and looking at what you predicted for Josh Gordon joining the Chiefs. Like, okay, I'm going to go conservative here. I got him for 405, you know, come yeah. in, just be a role player at first and then kind of really take off in the postseason, be that guy who can really go up and get it. And it's like, uh, how about like four and one, like four yards and one touchdown was closer to the stats of Josh Gordon. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, like, we, we all kind of knew that, like, you know, you you don't take however many years off of football that he did and come back and be an elite player. But we were like, yeah, but the Chiefs really don't have anybody. Like, Nicole's a slot guy. He, he hasn't really been playing really well. Josh Gordon could really come in and be the X. And that just kind of petered out. That, that, uh, that whole storyline kind of died about the second or third week that he was here. Sure. And by the way, you were correct. It is Jerry on Ely um, from Mississippi. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I've heard some good things about him as well as far as some running back room goes. All right. Last topic. I'm not sure if we've even talked about it since um, Terry Kill decided it needed to be said, which is just, we don't have to go through everything he said because it's more or less a farce at this point, in my opinion, this podcast, but I did want to bring up one thing that he said that was interesting. Um, so in his latest podcast, he talked about two things. He talked about one, he thinks that the 2022 Dolphins resemble the 2019 uh, Chiefs. He sees that type of team in the current version of the Dolphins. And then he also talked about the loss after the Bills and how a lot of players were personally overcoming some struggles and they had a lot going on. I wanted to get your take on those two things. One, what do you think he's talking like? And in some ways, Terry Kale is saying nothing. In some ways, he's saying a lot. Um, I kind of wonder what he's referencing with like players that were struggling with things. Um, I think, you know, I have an idea of what that is in my mind. And then also kind of like just the Dolphin statement. Like, what are your takeaways from that? Well, so I'll just go ahead and start with the Dolphins Chiefs comparison. I think that honestly, he kind of is right in every way that doesn't matter, if, if that makes any sense. Like, the wide receiving core for the Dolphins is, like, crazy good. Like, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill. I think they still have Devontae Parker. So, I mean, those are three legitimate weapons. And, yeah, you know, the offensive line, you know, is probably going to do better than they did last year. Still probably not be top 15. I think the defense has also put – has also been put in a position where they can succeed and, you know, make some stops. The only problem is they don't have Patrick Mahomes. So yeah, you know what? The position groups match up the offensive line, the wide receiver, like, yeah, that all matches up. None of that matters. No, it, it's not going to matter. You, you might get an extra two or three wins. Um, but you know, without Patrick Mahomes, the guy who actually gets you there, I don't see what the point of referencing that is other than to get views on your podcast. Yeah. I, I really wonder what Tua thinks of uh, Terry Hill just, you know, basically putting a limelight on him all off season. And just, you know, if these things don't come to fruition, people are going to come up to Tua and be like, Hey, um, why aren't you, you know, this quarterback that we asked for? And what about all these things that you said, you know, like, 
Tua is a very quiet player. He doesn't, you know, really make a lot of noise on social media. Um, some of that, I think, is just his character. I think he's a high-character guy. I mean, he kind of had to be to deal with the situation that he did in Alabama. But, yeah, I mean, and to come back from the hip injury and everything. But, the yeah, the comments about the 2019, I mean, honestly – He's not that wrong. Mike Gazeki is not Travis Kelsey. There's, you know, there's two or three players at Travis Kelsey level in the NFL history. But Jalen Waddell is a fantastic player. Obviously, there is Tyree Kill there. Um, the running back room will be good just because of the offense they're going to run. But, you know, there, there are some great players on that team. And I think, you know, we hear about this. Tom Brady was possibly going to the Dolphins thing. Jalen Waddle wasn't there at the time, and neither was Tyree Kill. But, I mean, you can kind of see the pieces there. Um, and I still don't rule it out. I mean, could, you know, he just move across the other side of the state and play for the Dolphins next year? I mean, that would be scary as heck because um, I think he's basically on his last year of his deal with Tampa. Um, but, yeah, that that comment and just more or less most of what Tyree Kill has said about the Dolphins and the whole, you know, Mahomes is more accurate or uh, – Two was more accurate. And then the debacle of Miami posting a video of him throwing a ball to Terry Kill and he has to stop for two seconds to catch it. Like it looked like the pass from Wasp, except it was 20 yards and not like 75 yards or whatever Wasp was. That was, uh, it, it's not been a great outing for Terry Kill. And then his agent recording in his car with his kid in the background, like what the hell is that? But this, this comment interests me. So this is a direct quote. This is from Terry Kill uh, um, offered this observation after the week five loss to the Bills. Quote, like a lot of things didn't, a lot of, quote, sorry, I'll start over. Quote, like a lot of things didn't see eye to eye in that building. And you know, a lot of people, I just don't want to say we were going through some things, you know, they beat our ass. So, he, you know, he kind of starts there a little bit, but he says a lot of people were going through a lot of things, you know, people weren't just seeing through eye to eye. Like, I kind of, this is, I don't know, man. I I still believe a little bit in that Mahomes and Eric, Eric Bieniemy are on the same page. I wonder if some of this was Mahomes. Um, it was very clear last year that he was frustrated with players. I, I wonder if some of this had to go with, like, Tyreek Hill had a big drop that resulted in seven-point swing in that game. Um, I kind of I wonder about this. Like, I, this... This just kind of smells a little bit like that situation, whether it be because there's also another spot in that podcast where he talked about where Eric Bieniemy got them back on track after the loss to the Bills and challenged them to not lose to them in the playoffs, which is like, duh, like, hey, these guys beat you last time. You should try to beat them this time. Dynamite drop in Eric Bieniemy. But I, what do you think of that? Is there anything there that sticks out to you? Yeah, well, and you have to make sure you put this in context with some of the other podcasts that he's done where he's called out Eric Bieniemy um, on his style or no, that wasn't him. Never mind. Uh, I was going to say uh, for some reason that LaShawn McCoy clip just played in my head as Tyreek Hill. So no, um, you know, honestly, I think EB might have had something to do with it. Um, but I honestly, I think it just had to have been the mentality of the team. Like, cause at that point you, you just had a loss to the bills. Mahomes is, quote unquote, not having his best year, um, which is complete hogwash. The wide receivers were just dropping footballs. Um, and I think it might have something to do with Travis Kelsey. And I'll give you a reason why I think that just recently he was stated or he, he was talking to Mitch Holtis and Mitch Holtis. He told Mitch Holtis, excuse me, um, that his love for football had been reignited in the off season and that he's been training like crazy. Uh, and that in parts of last season, his head wasn't necessarily in the right spot. I think that there possibly could have been a point in time right after that bills game or during or before where everybody's heads weren't right. Like you're going in to face Josh Allen and I had my doubts about him until the end of this year. Now I'm a believer. Josh, Josh Allen is a great quarterback, but I mean, you're going to this team, you're going to face this team who you've beaten every single time you've played them. And, you know, it wasn't particularly close and, you know, having those mentalities changed and, and being in the wrong headspace can absolutely lead to a loss like that. And 
every team goes through it, especially ones that have sustained success throughout the postseason. They have those regular season, you know, lapses of judgment. And I think that that absolutely could have been one of those times. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. So uh, looking forward, uh, we will definitely obviously be checking in throughout camp as far as some of the big narratives um, coming up on not just another sports podcast. We have some of our two most popular episodes backed by popular demand. Next episode, we are doing our way too bold predictions. These are things Last year, some of the highlights included the Saints picking in the top two. This, these were all my predictions. I had the Saints being a top five pick in the NFL draft, which um, did not come true. The Jaguars making the playoffs, which in case you missed it, they fired their coach like before Thanksgiving, um, didn't happen. And the thing that almost happened that was really close, it went right down to the wire. We were all um, waiting with anticipation. Daniel Jones getting MVP votes, which I just... I had to double check real quick. It did not happen. He did not receive any MVP votes, but the predictions were bold nonetheless. Um, that will be coming. And then uh, the following episode, we will be doing our full NFL predictions. Who's winning the divisions? Who's winning the conferences? Rookie of the year. We're going to get it all right this time and, and um, instead of just partially right. Oh, yeah. And looking back, we actually did really, really well. I, I have some of them written down here. Um, you said Kelsey would have. 10 touchdowns. He actually had nine. Mikol had 650 yards, actually turned out to be 693. So we were really spot on with some of those predictions. So I, I can't wait to see what you are going to say about this upcoming season. I'm hoping, praying for another Jan Daniel Jones MVP prediction uh, that, that might help me out in the future arguments I have with you. Um, but, you know, it really could be anything. It's it's price. Look, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, I'm not going to bring the same take again because I've already mustered it. But, like, you know, this might be, like, I'm going to look like an oracle if it happens next year because he's got the, you know, he's he's got the guy who, like, turned Josh Allen into an MVP candidate. He's still, those still weapons are still there. It's a weak division. I'm just saying. Possible. It's, po it's he, definitely he, possible. He's fleet of foot. If he didn't trip on that one play, like, we could be talking about a whole different Daniel Jones, Daniel Jones air. Could be. Could All right, be. guys. Well, that's our podcast for today. We're excited to get going with another season. It's the, as we have said many times, it is the most important off season and season of the Patrick Mahomes era. There's going to be a lot of interesting things to talk about. So keep it locked in here on not just another sports podcast. And of course, at Arrowhead live, you can follow me on Twitter at I at price a Carter, and you can follow Christian at C breezy underscore edits. Did I get it right, Christian? Is that right? That's right. It's been yeah, a while. I got it. Double check muscle memory. Okay. Uh, well, no, you're good. Thanks for, thanks for listening to not just another sports podcast. <laughs>